Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 31 of Trail Society brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. My name is Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hilary Allen. And everyone is in their homes, <laughs> which is weird. But before we dive into the show, we need to give you a quick, we need to give you, we need to give a, I guess, quick shout out to a company helping make things happen for us over here on Trail Society. And that is Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on the super complicated supplement routine to try to aid in recovery. And it was costing him $100 a day. So through that process, he created Athletic Greens um, because he couldn't find that optimal nutrition routine for him. It's now been shown to improve sleep quality and recovery and supports mental clarity and alertness. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go over to athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash trail society to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Yeah, I've been really enjoying it. It's something I took with me um, when I was in when I was in France and it was, it was nice to just kind of like have your own routine wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got a whole slew of races to talk about real quickly. You probably have heard a lot about them since there's been many podcasts breaking down big wins at run rabbit and Pikes peak ascent this weekend. But one that might've slipped some of your radars is the IAU European 24 hour world champs was this past weekend. Um, and there's this Lithuanian athlete, Alexander Sor- Sorokin, who is just the best, like kind of timed, long distance ultra guy right now. Um, he currently holds the six hour, hundred K hundred mile and 12 hour world best for the track. And he broke his own 24 hour world record by running, get this 198.6 miles in 24 hours. That's a <laughs> seven fifteen minute per mile average. And it has a lot of people wondering, like, are we going to see him or someone else crack that 200 mile mark, um, for 24 hours? Like it is just baffling to me it's so so insane yeah it's so fast for two almost 200 miles i can't even imagine also like i want to know i know they switch directions but i feel like unrealistically they're gonna get the equal amount on each leg like i wonder how his legs do with all of that turning they also i just know like four for that reason yeah, okay, run, so they that run, probably they helps. They run mid-track because the, okay. the corners aren't as tight for... Got it. think about that when you're running 400 meters. But when you're running 24 hours, yeah. it, it does matter. So they bump them out to lane four, um, okay. it looks like, four. Or, or I think they technically can run, run in whatever lane they want, but we were watching video of it, and he was out in lane four for m- much of the run. Mm. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. And then the, each lap is a little bit longer, too, so it's probably closer to a proper like 0.25 miles instead of just 400 meters. Yeah. So yeah. insane, insane, impressive. But yeah. I think, um, I actually just got a text when I was uh, at PT from my husband, um, cause he, uh, is at Harbor view working in the cardiac ICU. And he said, Hey, I'm in the cath lab sitting next to rich Lockwood right now because rich works at Harbor view as well. And, uh, oh. that brings us to run rabbit. <laughs> Steven's heard a lot about rich, but they have yet to meet and they met today at work, which makes what does rich do. Um, he is a tech in like the, it, like working in the cath lab. So got it. when you have a, when you have a heart issue, you have a STEMI or something, you, mm-hmm. you get to go see, you get to see the guys in the nice. cath lab and Rich is one of those Fun. individuals. So, cool. um, I, I mean, no surprise, I think in my mind, 
like the what happened with the winners, but let's like first mention that like the prize purse for Run Rabbit, it's it's 10 years in the it's this was its 10th year happening. They've always had a huge prize purse. They've always had, you know, like the biggest prize purse in ultra running. They pay seven deep. It's 15K now for the win, potentially another 5K or so if you are if your team wins. Um, and then mm-hmm. they also have another thousand dollar bonus for the top um 40 plus. And then I think there's a $500 bonus for the top 50 plus athlete. So really, really, really cool, but it doesn't draw the biggest crowds year after Mm -hmm. year. It kind of draws an interesting group of athletes where I feel like it's one of two things. It's either like a, Oh crap, I got to get a race in like Avery (laughs) Collins who had COVID the week of UTMB. Mm -hmm. Um, or it's the, like people are intentional about it, right? Like Addie Bracey last year with her win. And so it's like, they don't go to Leadville. They don't go to UTMB. They go to run rabbit. And I just like, it's really interesting. Like trying to prioritize who, who ends up there and who doesn't. Yeah. I know. I always have this question because it's arguably the best paying race in all of ultra and trail running. Mm-hmm. Yet it draws the least, in my opinion, the one of the less competitive fields for how much prize person it has. And so I wonder if it's just because of the timing and it's to your point, like most people race Western States Leadville, Hard Rock or UTMB or multiple of those. And they just like, I can't go run, run rabbit. But I mm-hmm. also just, I've never seen more than one or two athletes use it as their primary race. You know, like I never see like, I'm going to run rabbit. Are you going to run <clears throat> rabbit? I'm going to run rabbit. Whereas like, you know, when North face was kind of like the unspoken 50 mile championship, sure. It paid, but not anywhere near this, but mm-hmm. every single person would go right. Like, it'd be like, are you going, you going? And that field was stacked. Same with like Western States. It's like, who's going to Western States yet. Yeah, Western States doesn't pay anything. And so it's <laughs> just a very interesting thing. Like, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder why it hasn't gotten more prestige. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a hard race. It's up high. The weather can be yeah. terrible. The weather like, is super hard because it's can have the fluctuations, right? Like freezing mm-hmm. temps at night this year, they had a lot of rain and then it can get really hot during the day. But I, I mean, there's still a little, I have a little bit of pushback on that too. I mean, for the prize money, yes, for a race that offers that much, but like a race like Leadville, especially in the women's field, like you had Claire Gallagher and Addie Bracey this year, but like, they're, like never the more other, than too deep. That's well, exactly never more saying. than too deep. Yeah. So there's totally. other races that are, that are even like high lonesome, which Annie Hughes also won this year. I mean, you do have like some, like one or two strong local ladies, but it doesn't draw like the depth of field, like a Western States, like a UTMB. Right. And it's also ironic that they don't pay anything. We'll talk about that more <laughs> uh, later today. Yeah. yeah well, it's yeah, changed it just, actually at UTMB. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, but, a little, but either way, I yeah. still think like the race is very credible. And it's still very impressive when people win. I'm not taking anything away from the women and men who won that race. No, but it's like maybe a bunch of us are just like, there. yeah, yeah I'm like, How where's is, the squads? Like, <laughs> yeah, but it's hard, you know, when, like, when, team. when, yeah. when contracts prioritize versus like UTMB, yeah. it's going to draw mm-hmm. a lot of people at the end of the season. And I think that's where, where that happens. But what I think is cool about that is that people who get the wins at a race like run rabbit and get in the, on that podium and are getting, you know, $8,500 for second, that kind of thing. Like those paydays are huge for those individuals because huge. most of them aren't on contracts. Like almost mm-hmm. all of them aren't on contracts. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like that money goes a long, long way. So totally. I think that that is, that is kind of like the, the happy, the happy outcome of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually don't know if they paid seven deep on the women's side this year because they have a, they have a stipulation that they need to have 30 women start the race for it to pay seven deep. And they only had 24 mm. female starters in the hair. Wow. So I don't 24. Mm-hmm. 
Um, do you know how many men? I don't know. And you'd have to do hairs versus tortoises. And I, I know in the hairs race, there was 24 women was kind of like the predetermined number mm-hmm. I saw, but you know, what, what did happen in that race is we saw Avery Collins who didn't get to race UTMB this year, take a big swing and pushed kind of the lead pack of men early. Mm-hmm. The race packed up pretty nicely. IE there, there were groups of individuals running together through the marathon mark through the 50 K mark, kind of through the halfway mark for the men. Um, Avery ultimately ended up finishing fifth and rich Lockwood, Seattle, silent assassin here. Um, if you know, rich, you know, that he is very, very talented and is definitely under the radar. Maybe not anymore. He ultimately took the win by over an hour. Arlen Glick made this huge move around the 95 or 96 mile mark to overtake Nick Elson, another under the radar guy, Canadian, um, Squamish dude scheme, like one of the better schemo athletes in the world. One of the, like the, probably one of the best schemo athletes in North America. Um, he also climbs like insanely, like hard, on, on rock rating. Like he's, he's really, really good. Um, Arlen Glick overtook him right at the end, um, to end up, I think Arlen had like an eight minute lead at the finish over Nick and it was Nick's debut hundred. So Arlen showed up in the mountains, which I think is amazing. That had to be his slowest hundred mile finish ever. And I'm like, so stoked to see Arlen translate what he learned at run rabbit into future hundred mile efforts, because he is, I think, insanely talented and he ran really tough out there for that, you know, 19 hour finish um yeah i heard a rumor he's coming he's going to javelina as well i was gonna say i think this is the first year he's been dabbling in west coast races too Mm -hmm. like he's been a force to reckon with on the east coast up until the midwest midwest Midwest, where he crushed western states this year so it's cool to see him expanding out and doing more races and two big hundred mile finishes like podium Mm -hmm. finishes this year is huge and then Mm -hmm. annie hughes only 24 years old um I think she's won her last 600 mile races. Again, she's yeah. 24 years old and this was her 10th 100. Um, she, we watched her destroy Moab 240 last year. We watched her destroy um, Cocodona earlier this year, running in like the lead, you know, in the lead overall early in the race. Um, and then she ultimately won High Lonesome in a course record setting fashion, I believe, mm-hmm. um, this, this July. So incredibly talented, ran a super smart race, kind of sat back early and then went on to win by 90 <coughs> minutes, finishing 10th yeah. overall. And then mm-hmm. second and third in the women's race were newer names, I think, for many of us. Um, Tara Dower, who's an East Coast runner. And actually, I think she won two really early, early season East Coast hundreds this year. Mm. Um, like, so she is definitely talented and definitely um, has, has you know, tackled this distance, but at altitude coming from the East Coast, like that is Stress. tough. And then Mary mm-hmm. Bauman, who lives in, um, Boulder, I believe. So no stranger to altitude, but I think she predominantly races in the 50 K to 50 mile range. Maybe it was definitely her debut hundred. So once yeah. again, debut hundreds on the third place spot for both the men and women cool. in this race. And that is awesome. Mm-hmm. And they were duking it out towards the end. They were only separated by two minutes. And then another fun fact was that fourth and fifth were separated by around 20 seconds. The fourth and fifth or fifth and sixth? Mm, fourth and fifth. Okay. Fifth and six. Yep. Fifth and six. But yeah, kind of crazy. Tight racing, like tight, tight racing, which we love, love mm-hmm. to see. So that was, yeah. And, uh, there were a hundred hairs that started 102. So 80, so, 76 of them were men. Yeah. Yep. And a huge attrition rate. I think like, and only about 54 of the hairs finished. Yeah. Huge, huge attrition rate overnight <laughs> that the people apparently a lot of people are hypothermic so crazy at the 80 mile mark early in the early morning hours. So those aid station volunteers, uh, had their work cut out for yeah. them. Um, 
For sure. Other big kind of news, I think, just shouting out the the win, the women's winner of uh, TDG, Tour de Jean, or oftentimes just referred to as Tour, um, is a British athlete who I believe won the spine race. Her name's Sabrina Verge. Mm-hmm. Um, she won in 80 hours and 19 minutes. And the course was different this year. I've been told like different, like significantly different than past years, but, and, but it seems like the race is going to count this as the course record for women. And she's, that makes her the first ever female to break the 85 hour mark at this race. I think she finished fifth overall. Um, and then that gap down, we talked about that gap closing between the lead men and the lead women in races. Historically, we get down to about 10% time difference. And I think that she finished about 10 hours back from the leading, the, the top placing male athlete. And that that's about 14%, um, different. So closing the gap there. And I wonder, you know, if we get, I mean, Sabrina is a very talented athlete, but I think if we like continue to increase the level of competition in the women's field at a race like TDG, like how much can that time come down and how close, you know, can they get it to, to the women, to the top men, top male athletes, you know, six, eight hours back, something like that would be pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. I, I talked to um, a woman here, uh, Laura, I forget her last name. She did TDG and she she said that they actually stopped them on the last climb just because of the storms. They, were, they weren't able to do the last climb. Um, I'm not sure at what point in the race that she was. That was, like the, that was the ninth. That was the last. I was told that yeah. that was the last day of the race. So that we're talking like a week in. Which yeah. Is definitely- so. I don't know if this affected her time, but yeah. So there was like, there was basically, this didn't affect Sabrina's, but there's some other things that happened and the course is a bit different than the years past, but mm, yeah, there's um, a big yeah, she was done in three and a half days. basically. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think it was like the ninth day in which that happened because it affected like Tour de Glossier as well, as well, the, the 450 kilometer <coughs> version of this race. Insane. <laughs> yeah, just absolutely bonkers. People, people yeah. were stopped at that last summit and they're brought mm-hmm. back down to Cormier. Yeah. They had some bad weather that week. It was I was thinking of all the people out there. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Like the Julian Alps race that UTMB puts on was also super, super insane. Yeah. Um, so, we're going to give, uh, I think we're going to move on to Pike's Peak Ascent. Um, mm-hmm. We can give quick shout outs to I Am Tough in part because Alexis Crellin, who's a fan of the pod, um, <laughs> was seventh overall in that race at I Am Tough in Idaho. She won by over five hours, I think, which is insane. Nice. Um, Michael uh, Postaski won the men's race and then shout out to the East coast. Cause we don't do it enough. Grindstone 100, which is insanely hard. It's a hard rock qualifier, um, happened in Virginia over the weekend. And, uh, Shannon Sabron and Daniel Frank won those races in, uh, Shannon's time was 24, 25 and Daniel Frank's time was 18 and 29. So quick East coast shout out. Yeah. Because- those ladies who finished that race, you should put your name in the hard rock lottery booster, those yep. numbers, both I yeah. and grindstone. Those, if you, if you made, made it to the finish line there, apply to the hard rock lottery, get more women onto that start line next year. And then finally Pike's peak ascent was the one of two golden ticket or not golden ticket, golden trail series races happening in the U S this year. And the fields were like 30 plus. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it was, it was insane to watch that from afar. Um, like I I was looking at the lady start list and I'm just like, Whoa, like who's gonna, who's gonna win. It was really cool to see Kim Dobson on there. She's been, you know, like dominated also Allie Mack. Um, you know, shout out to the Americans. Um, but you yeah, have man, five American women in the top 10 of, yeah. of a race like that too, which is absolutely bonkers with Sophia Lockley in third, Allie Mack, mm-hmm. Kim Dobson, yeah. and then uh, Bailey mm-hmm. and MK, MK were seventh and ninth. Mm-hmm. So making it happen Represent. out there. 
Um, but <laughs> Ninke won the women's race. I don't think anyone was surprised there. She came within three minutes of Kim, Dob- of Kim Dobson's ascent record. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a woman's ever come within seven or eight minutes of that record or nine minutes of that record. So that was the closest anyone has ever gotten to Kim Dobson's course record there. Kim has won the race seven times. Um, <laughs> wow. so she knows a thing about running that ascent. So really, really impressive. Um, Maude Matthews was second. And then mm-hmm. Sophia Lockley, the young U of Utah ski team talent, who's been tearing <laughs> up the, the U S and international race scene, um, winning a golden, uh, trail series race in Norway in August. So very, very impressive. Also shout out Blondine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doubled back and got top 10. Yeah. I know. Oh, CCC. So impressive. Yeah. yeah. Insane. Insane. Yeah. And then in the men's race, Remy Bonet, who set, who broke Joe Gray's um, Manitou incline FKT mm-hmm. before the race, took the win, followed by uh, Daniel Ozons, who's like, those two are probably the best VK athletes in the world. Yeah. Um, they both climb so insanely well. Joe Gray ended up finishing third. Um, sounds like he recently had COVID. Eli Hemming was fourth. Um, Eli Hemming, get that kid sponsored is, I guess, what I'll have to say there. <laughs> and then um, Francesco, Francesco uh, Poppy is coming back from an elbow fracture earlier this year. So I'm sure he's a little bit disappointed with that result, but hopefully he's happy because he's back racing. Um, mm-hmm. So very just insanely impressive performances. If you uh, made the top 10 or not there, just bravo. Like what an absolutely bonkers race. Yeah. But I think we've got some big ticket news items. Yeah, uh, that big ticket, covered, including <laughs> uh, who uh, who here heard about the the free the new free trail website launch? Me, me. Hands <laughs> hopefully up. Hopefully, everyone, everyone listening to you. <laughs> yeah, hopefully everyone who's listening to this has heard the news and has decided. You know what? I think I need a free trail pro membership. <laughs> I think it's like a hundred dollars a year. It's not that much. The money is well spent. You get to hang out with us even more, um, including things like our office hours. Um, we're going to expand office hours too, to do some kind of niche group stuff, which I think will include trail society and kind of the free trail fems group, um, which is really exciting. Free trail from fems. Speaking of that, join our Slack channel pro membership gets you into the free trail Slack, which has been really fun to interact with. Um, to get to be a part of that community. And then we're also launching as of this week, a members only pod called rest day. Um, Dylan and Katie Asmuth put that out earlier this week and it was really, really great. So consider joining. And we're creating another big ticket item. I mean, you can't announce it yourself, but maybe you can, you're named the editor in chief as well. So this is exciting. Yeah. We're going to expand the written stuff. Keely's been writing, uh, for Dylan and Harmony and we're, um, uh, and Ryan of, of the free trail group for a while, but we're going to make that even bigger and better with regular contributors. And then a bunch of people kind of pitching me speaking of, if you want to pitch, if you, if you're like, man, I've got a story to tell, be it personal or something you've experienced in the community, intersectional pieces, you can pitch me at Corinne at freetrail.com. Um, that will be associated with my Instagram contact, I think here pretty soon. So, um, if you want to pitch a story, hit me up. My, uh, my inbox is open for pitches. Okay. YouTube, UTMB drama. Can I oh set boy. Up? Someone want to set me up for this? Um, uh, well, 
I guess like from TDS, because it has to deal with this TDS. I remember when 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 I raised TDS in 2019, it was one of the first years actually that... 2018 was the first year because I got paid in 2018. So tw- yeah, so 2019 was the second year that we actually got like a teeny bit of prize money for anything, right? In past years, we had not gotten any prize money at all, but where we got prize money for competing in TDS. And well, um, any of the races, I don't think any of the races were paid out before that. So that was the first year UTMB, CCC or OCC had gotten Mm -hmm. any money. Yeah, I didn't get paid in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. And, but the other thing too, is that specifically for TDS, this deals with also some of this drama too, that probably you, you, you guys have maybe seen uh, about coverage, et cetera, was that the 2019 was the first year where they actually had coverage for the top women as well. Like they had a designated camera crew following the top women in the races, whereas in previous races that had only at previous TDSs that had only been for the males. Um, so 2019 was when like uh, uh, a shift from the coverage perspective. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah. And so, and, and, and TDS is kind of, we actually didn't think it was going to happen this year. After mm-hmm. last year, we kind of thought TDS was done. And we kind of still think TDS might be done for next year. We're not sure. There's been rumors that it might be allocated to its own week. Um, it's another huh. 90 mile race during UTMB week. There's really no reason to keep it around in my mm-hmm. personal opinion, like move it to its own, move it to its own race week, like just make it its own <clears> thing. Um, there's no reason to have a secondary 90 mile race with 30,000 feet of climbing that you're trying to orchestrate safely during race week. And because of that, it's kind of been moved off of the UTMB TV calendar, mm-hmm. but the website still said and this is a transparency issue that um, the top five at TDS would get paid, you know, amount of prize money pending. Mm-hmm. But that was also all all the races, OCC, CCC, and UTMB were also in that same boat in which, like, they said, oh, we're going to pay out top five and top ten. But, you know, we're not, we don't know how much that's going to be. We will let you know when we know. And so with that lack of transparency, UTMB gets to protect itself and not protect the athletes. Um Martina, who won TDS this year, um, posted that, you know, she had reached out to the organization because she knew that other athletes had gotten emails about, you know, their, their payday for that race weekend for OCC, CCC and UTMB and and TDS had not gotten that email. And they basically were like, yeah, we're not paying out TDS this year. Like it's not part of the series, um, et cetera. And it's like, well, your website isn't something different and you've got to figure out how you're going to be accountable to this. And they ultimately came back and, and are paying, um, the top five for TDS, but um, UTMB has got to stop walking stuff back. They need to, I've kind of suggested that they should form a, like an athlete representative council to help with some of this stuff because they've had to walk back so much this year um, in order to make sure that they're doing the right thing half the time. Um, but yeah, what was the issue that was going on with the coverage yeah. as well this That's year? Oh, so that was a media and this is confusing. <clears throat> I've had to have some very terse conversations with people on Instagram about this. TMB <laughs> TV, which is different than if you apply for a media pass and I'm pointing mm-hmm. at my screen here, which no one can see. Um, UTMB TV is dedicated to covering the top three men and top three women in the races. That's it. Technically, more men get covered because more men finish during the time we are waiting for the top three women. Um, that that is how that works. And they and we did a the better we did a better job this year than we ever have given the spreads that happen in CCC and UTMB. I.e., we didn't see a whole lot of Jim when he was in third, either. Right? Like mm-hmm. it's hard to cover the third place person when they're hours back. Um, this happens across the races. But the bigger issue is that early in UTMB week which I think we've talked about a little bit here was that the media credentialing was given out to people who had applied for media permits. And it said, this gives you coverage 
to be in aid stations for the top 10 men, but only the top five women. Mm-hmm. And that is different than UTMB TV. Those are two separate entities. Um, and so that was confusing for a lot of people that they thought that we were going to get covered to the top 10 for both races and all the races. And that is not how UTMB TV is operating currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're working on changing how and and how, how and where we can improve that coverage. Likely you'll see maybe more of OCC get covered because those time gaps are more narrow versus CCC and UTMB as those time gaps are still fairly big. And that will change as those races get more competitive and those time gaps come down. But I did some background digging and, and was reaching out to athletes to figure out to make sure that the men and women got paid equally to make sure people got paid well. UTMB, OCC, and CCC all received the exact same prize purse this year. And that being 10K for the win. So Shayla Alvarez, who won the women's OCC, got 10K. Katie Shad, who won UTMB, got 10K. Okay. So across wow. the distances and across the across men and women, 10K for the win, 5K for second, and 3K for third. And then they paid out to the top 10, I believe. Um, and with those being, I think 1K was allocated to kind of like the back of the field, uh, back of that top 10 group. So they each got 1K uh, or one like 1,000 euros. So that is how that is happening this year. But the drama was that there's no transparency. The drama mm-hmm. was that the website says one thing and then UTMB does something different. And without transparency, we can't hold anyone accountable. So that the drama is that accountability needs to be handled so that the athletes are protected and not just the organization is protected. Mm-hmm. So they hold still, they still hold a lot of the power, right? Cause it's like, we have to show up for this race because yeah. it's been deemed the most important race of the season. Um, and while we, you know, yes, we can vote with our feet and we cannot show up. That's harder to do when yeah. sponsors prioritize bigger payouts at that race, maybe than other races. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll see what that, what, how that, how that all pans out over the years to come. But that is, um, that was the most current kind of iteration of UTMB drama that unfolded over the past ten days. Yay, meaty stuff. Yeah, but. On a, on maybe more exciting news on a big big organizations big businesses doing things right, I was floored by the news yeah. out of Patagonia so this cool. past this past week. Like absolutely, like brought to tears reading the New York Times piece or the Outside Online piece. Like literally, like chills and and tears were happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just such a new standard for companies to right. abide by if they want to you know, actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's, it's like a fun kind of switch of the pendulum, right. For the running of a company, like the, the founder basically was quoted as saying that he was listed in Forbes as being a billionaire, which really pissed him off (laughs) because in his mind, like, that's not why you have the company and that's not, he didn't have all that money. Like he's not going around driving audacious cars, all of these things. And so one thing he decided to do when he was looking to sell the company, because he was afraid that the company values might not be preserved if he sold it to someone or some individual, he decided to basically sell it off, um, like donated off to fight climate change. And by doing so, he put it into two different buckets. So he pushed it into a tr- two trusts. One's the Patagonia Purpose Trust. And that includes 2% of the voting stock of the company. And that's basically a group of people that he's confident of that will hold the values true. And so that they'll always have like the same values driving the company. 
And then the rest of the money goes into a trust that is a non-voting stock. And that's called the Hold Fast Collective. And that's a nonprofit dedicated towards environmental crisis and defending nature. And so he's hoping that, you know, that part of the donation pool will just be able to take the profits that Patagonia makes as a company and put them to actual good use by driving different nonprofits that are that are focused in this environmental preservation state. Um area that um he could have taken the company public right he could have sold the he, like the stocks have gone public but then all of a sudden being beholden to shareholders like that mm-hmm. the, and like or or even like venture capitalists like does not oftentimes take the company in the right in the right direction and so by by putting that into that trust he he does really protect it and he was saying you know our shareholders is the earth and i really like appreciated that sentiment of uh and I'm, it's going to drive sales you want to like mm-hmm. I'll spend money on their product um but i think they've been a a leader in in you know outdoor and casual apparel given that you know they were the first one one of the first people to really do a big business in like the the like the secondhand market you mm-hmm. know with where mm-hmm. And yep. repairing things and kind of redistributing them. So, yeah. And I think they did one thing once where they actually stopped putting their logo on certain garments to save costs, which is just such a baller move because you're <laughs> banking on everybody knowing what your gear looks like without a logo, which is like pretty cool. Yeah. Well, they also didn't allow tech companies to buy Patagonia like tech fleeces and put their logos on it if mm. they were companies they didn't like. And so <laughs> I thought that was like kind of kind of baller to be like, nope, we are not tech bros. You cannot buy our vests and put your logo on it. <laughs> um, so that was that was pretty, pretty mm-hmm. cool. But I think we've got a couple of nerdy things to share before we dive into like the thick of the thick of things for a little bit. <laughs> Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Keely Keely here with the ultra the ultra nerd update. Wow. Yeah. Well everyone knows Nick Tiller. We've talked a lot about his studies. He does a lot of studies in the female Big endurance fan. athlete space. Yeah. Big he does fan, a lot of Tiller. Big fan. Um, And it looks like him and his team are kind of sitting on a lot of data right now. At least that's me inferring um, from the 2019 UTMB. Um, They recruited 53 runners for their overarching data collection. Um, However, for this paper, they only used a subset of those people. This paper is called Sex-Specific Physiological Responses to Ultramarathons. And so they basically monitored physiological mo- mo- or variables before and after running UTMB, which is what <laughs> Hillary just did, uh, 105 miles with ton of, a ton of climbing and wanted to see how that impacted the body. Um, and so basically in a nutshell, it just showed that a lot of variables, most notably creatine kinase and creatinine, um, both showed increases after this kind of event, which are typically indicative of impaired kidney function. They can also be indicative of something else, but most likely due to all of the major dehydration that typically is uh, occurring during these events, that's probably what it's indicating. Um, This also showed some changes in the brain natriuretic peptide, which actually is again, another indicator of kidney function. It also can be showing how the blood is pumping the, or the heart is pumping the blood through the body. Um, again, these are all just things that are pretty crucial to homeostasis in the body. And they're kind of just showing that right now it's just, it's not working as well as it should. They also showed that males had specifically decreased ability to diffuse pulmonary blood through their lungs and overall pulmonary capillary blood volume decreased. So they were just using their lungs less efficiently by the end. Yeah, essentially mild pulmonary edema. Like, yeah, yeah which is a big deal. 
And then to have that sex difference there is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, men have larger vo- long volumes, yeah. which kind of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. makes sense. Whereas women, like we know that we we will reach like peak ventilation at lower intensities mm-hmm. just because like our lungs are like even in even in size matched individuals, which is this is this is fascinating, mm-hmm. right? Me and a guy that is exactly my size, he will have greater lung capacity than me, lung volume mm-hmm. than me. Mm-hmm. Because guess what, ladies? You got to have room to grow a fetus. And yeah. So, you know, we automatically, and I wonder if that's almost in ultra endurance stuff is like, is that being protective in a way? Right. And are ending up with this mild pulmonary edema. Mm-hmm. Or my counter to that would be that we know that eight females and eight males that were, were tested were people that were time matched. So mm-hmm. women running the same time as men. And in that, in my mind, the first thing I thought of was like, well, the women are actually probably a little more physiologically capable right. or physiologically fit than yeah. the men. Right. right? Yeah. So therefore yeah. the men might be using more of their, their max lung capacity. The women might be using less. So therefore, you know, they might've had those differences, but yeah, again, time, I don't know any of this. Matched. That was kind of Super my thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Time matched, which again, doesn't mean same fitness. No, like it's not the same as performance matched, right? Correct. Yep. And I don't know how you do performance matched. Maybe you would do that 10% thing, you know, where it's like, oh, 10% difference is typically a similar fitness level between Mm -hmm. men and women. But again, there's no right or wrong here. Mm -hmm. They had to match or control for something. And so that's just something that I thought of. But overall, just another reminder that this sport is not really, really great for us all the time, especially not if you're like neglecting electrolyte imbalance or electrolyte intake, food intake during your running, really prioritizing that longevity aspect of the sport because it it does take a toll on the body. And so we do have to be mindful that when we do complete something like UTMB, we should be thoughtful during it that, hey, we want to come out on top. We don't want to come out, you know, in kidney failure and have to go into the hospital. So we really need to prioritize like fueling and hydrating. And I would say that the bigger take-home message is actually that like, there's been this debate, like, well, is training for ultra endurance stuff the real thing? Or is it these acute rounds of stress that are a big health issue? And so Mm -hmm. my takeaway from this is that recovery post-race is of the utmost importance because Mm -hmm. most of these things, while you might have clinically high levels, you might not have, they might not be clinically significant, like i.e., your everyone's CK is going to be high post-ultra, but you might not be in You might not have acute kidney injury. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there, there are these two factors. You need to have clinical symptoms plus clinical levels. And so, you know, that doesn't give you the green light to go just destroy your body again. And mm-hmm. so I think that it's the, the, how many times a year are you going to race? How many big ultras a year are you going to race? To me, it's not the, that becomes the big question here is like, these things are really hard on our body and we need to respect <clears throat> our bodies enough to like ease off the gas periodically and, and give them rest and recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And I think while I was reading this, I actually came across another article that was published in 2021, looking at a hundred kilometer, 24 hour walking March. So again, not running. Um, and they found that here that basically, um, duration impacted all of these variables more than intensity. And so just because maybe you didn't have the race you were planning and it went way longer and you went a lot slower than you were thinking, that doesn't mean it wouldn't have detrimental impacts on you. And so I think for a while, at least this was my mindset was like, oh, I had a really poor race. I don't need to recover. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the case. It still has the same kind of impact on these kind of um, circulating levels. So keep that in mind. Be nice. Be nice to yourselves, I think is the the big thing there. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to kind of pivot, pivot topics here a little bit. I mean, everything's tangentially related, but we're pivoting before we pivot. 
we're going to, we got to give a shout out to another really important uh, sponsor of ours. And that's the feed. I actually uh, just ordered my, uh, my September goodie, goodie box. Mm. And I'm really, really excited. I got a shout out from one of our listeners about, um, about my love of waffles and they, (laughs) they too placed their waffle order. But, you know, before we talk a little bit more about it, we got to say, you know, you got to get in there. You got to go get some, it's bar month right now. Go buy some bars, go buy some tasty things to try. Um, and you can do that at www.thefeed.com. With, and then you can use the code Trail Society 15 for 15% off. But uh, because it's bar month, I know, I feel like Keely, you've been the connoisseur of bars from the feed. And I'm wondering what your current favorite is. Oh my goodness. So you know what I tried that Hillary was recommending last time was the Joji bar. Yes. They're so good. I love the white macadamia coconut one. The one that that I tried during UTMB was pancakes and bacon. It's so good. It's so good. Oh my goodness. I'm adding that to my list right now. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And yeah, I just got a bunch of picky bars. So that's the theme of this next month is picky bars, collagen and coffee. I love it. I love it. So again, if you want to try out bar month or whatever, whatever your goodie box might be filled with. Again, you can go to www.thefeed.com and use Trail Society 15 at checkout for 15% off your order. And then send us a DM. Let us know what you bought. Let us know what snacks you're really Yeah, I want to know what you try because it's hard to try everything. There's so many things. Yeah. So help us out. Go try some stuff. Um, okay. This was a suggestion by Keely. And I'm really, really grateful that you brought this topic to our minds because I think it's very important. And I know, I know that we have a lot of parents who do listen to our podcast because I've met you in person and you've told me that you listen to this um, (laughs) and that you have young kids at home. And I love it when they're young daughters because heck yeah. Um, But it's about specialization and development in sport and kind of that line between, you know, early specification um, and how that like or specialization rather and and how that, you know, what the outcomes are there and and kind of what what are the benefits of the detractors. And I've got to, I've got to ask Keely, cause, cause you are not a parent. Like what, like what brought this topic to top of mind? <laughs> I was saying earlier how I kind of went on a Malcolm Gladwell kick. And one of the things I stumbled across a while ago was his debate with David Epstein regarding specialization versus generalization. Um, and it was a very, very interesting debate. Um, and that got me into David Epstein's book range, which I then read and I just thought it was so pertinent to not only our sport, but a lot of different sports and the trends that I'd been experiencing when interacting with parents or just going to practices of kids that are a lot younger than I am now and just seeing how the culture has, has at least shifted from what I used to experience. And so I really thought it would just be interesting to talk through and get your guys' ideas around like how we bring children up through sport and like what the the pluses and minuses are from each pathway of like starting them young, specializing at something or starting them, you know, kind of more in a generalist approach where they're, they're trying different things. They're seeing what they like, what they don't like. They're gaining skills from all of them. And then they're specializing later. Um, and since we all three kind of came from that generalized background, I thought it'd be a very interesting discussion to just see, like, if we would have wished we specialized earlier, how we feel like generalization is happening in the world right now. And like, yeah, just get your opinions. And this I mean, is like, it's, it's such a cool timing for this topic. So I was telling you guys before we started recording, um, that I just started reading this book range and I actually got this recommendation, um, right before UTMB, I was on a couple runs with Jeff Stern and he told mm-hmm. me about this and, you know, he, and I kind of had a similar, and I think all of us have had a, had a similar, um, 
entry into the sport where we did something different beforehand. Like I was a tennis player. Jeff is really into cycling, mountain mm-hmm. biking, um, like at a pretty high level competitively. And that now he's into trail running. He's on the Solomon team. And so it was really cool. We had a really good discussion about it on our run. And then, you know, he's talking to me about this book and um, I had just finished reading um, the do hard things um, by Steve Magnus, which is another cool mm, book. So good. And, um, and so this was, this is another one that I started reading. So it's this perfect timing. And, uh, yeah, so shout out to Jeff. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's interesting because like in listening and maybe we'll put this, well, maybe let's put the chat between David and, uh, David Epstein and Malcolm Mm -hmm. Gladwell in, um, in the show notes for you all. It's a great, it's a great YouTube watch. Um, and one of the things they bring up too is, is, you know, it's, it's, it is kind of sports specific, i.e. I think one of them, uh, Malcolm Gladwell brought up like gymnastics and it's like, oh, you see that your six-year-old's flexible and that they've got really good, you know, proprioception. And it's like, oh, maybe they'll be a natural gymnast. And he's like, okay, maybe gymnast is like the possible worst, you know, <laughs> worst potential example here, because like they, like some sports do require super early specialization to reach the highest levels. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between peak performance and like, um, active for life. And that's something that we'll talk about in a little bit through like the Canadian long-term athlete development model. But I, I really was intrigued by one of the things they said. And that was that if we delay the match, if we delay the match until later in, in adolescence, it's more likely that your kid ends up matching. Well, Mm -hmm. i.e. when they're, when they're in preschool and kindergarten and elementary school and, and into middle school, that, um, that avoiding specialization actually allows kids to try things and try lots of things and find what they like and find what they dislike and find what they're inherently good at or what they are excited to work on. And mm-hmm. I thought that that was like, that, I mean, that's relevant to life in general right. too, like get yeah. to try lots of things, find your match. But, um, but I thought that was like- so interesting. I think it's so cool because what you're describing is what he refers to as the sampling period. Like, I love how he refers to it. And it's like, I think it's, and also in that, something that stood out to me um, is that it allows kids to take ownership. Like if, if uh, I've seen this, like from tennis, mm. like I'm um, obviously Roger Federer is an example they talk about, but then also, you know, one of my heroes, Andre Agassi, where he literally, he wrote his, this, this um, biography open and talks about how he hated the sport. He was really good at it, but it was because he was forced to play it from a very young age. And it wasn't like, he felt like he didn't have autonomy. I think that actually relates to it too, that allowing a kid to choose which one they're meant they're invested in. And then that allows you to work really hard at it and then develop those skills. But it comes after this, like Corinne mentioned, like the sampling period. Hmm. Yeah. And I think the big thing there too, is that you, it's that that story of pushing a kid versus pulling a kid or letting Mm -hmm. the kid pull, I think was how they, how they explained it was that, you know, like parents oftentimes push a kid, whereas you should let a kid pull, you know, kind of pull you or pull them themselves along and kind of lean into what that is. Cause I think Tiger Woods is another one of those examples. And it's like, you know, some kids just really gravitate to something super, super early. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I always get hesitant, particularly like we can talk about youth ultra runners, right? Like I'm always like, well, does the kid really want to do this? Like, is the parent pushing this or does the, is the kid really passionate about this thing? And can, and can we have them do it safely? I don't think any of the parents listening to this have, have youth ultra runners on their hands, but you know, we live in a time where the drive for scholarship for college, the, the, you know, the need to be a, a dedicated year round athlete in sports like soccer, um, is really a big, a, I think a big push and pull that a lot of people, a lot of parents and a lot of kids are feeling right now. And that to me is like, why this topic is so important is that like, will athletes actually be better I mean, I, I think that we, we all kind of probably agree on this. Mm-hmm. That athletes will be better in the long run if that, if that 
you know, if the focus is not on that, like, well, I have to specialize and play on six different traveling soccer teams from the age of eight (laughs) to play collegiate soccer or professional Mm -hmm. soccer. Mm -hmm. Totally. But stories like Tiger Woods or like Serena, where they're highlighting these little kids playing this sport, you know, from the age of three or on, it is such a cute story. It's visually appealing. You know, it, it draws the masses. And I feel like these are the stories that are publicized. So these are what people are resonating with. They're like, oh, well, Tiger Woods did it. Serena did it. You know, X did it. So therefore I must have my kid do this. But what I've noticed, at least from, from my experience where I didn't necessarily specialize super young, but my dad and my whole family was semi-pro to professional basketball players where, you know, it was really high pressure on me to play basketball. Mm -hmm. And so you have this like five-year-old who all of a sudden is like, cool, I'm going to be a division one basketball player. And, you know, they, you put this in their brain before they even have their own ability to decide if that's what they want to play and their ability to even decide if that's what they're best suited for. Because, you know, I'd argue now that I was a pretty crap basketball player compared to how I am as a runner, but I didn't know that at the time, like my school didn't have track or cross country until I was a senior. And then it was still kind of like a weird thing. And so it's not like I had that opportunity either, but you know, I didn't play a ton of other sports. I played basketball and soccer. And so those are what I knew. I knew that I should follow in my family's footsteps But again, like I didn't ever make that decision consciously because I was just kind of told that. And I think while, you know, at the time I didn't hate it, I did like playing. I don't know if that was the best thing at all. Yeah. And I think we, I mean, parent involvement is so critical. I think it's from a mental, mental health standpoint. I mean, all like, I think all my friends that struggled with disordered eating growing up, it it came from a parental, a parental place. Um, I think sports pressures can come from a parental, a parental place. I I often am worried, you know, is this parent trying to live vicariously through their child because they didn't reach their athletic goals. And I, I had the great privilege, honor, uh, and I don't know, labor of love to start and run what is now the crosscut mountain sports center in Bozeman. Um, I helped get their biathlon program Mm -hmm. off the ground when I was graduating from college in Bozeman. And I think I had 60 kids under the age of 11 with firearms, which is pretty wild. Um, (laughs) but you know, I'd get emails from parents about like, Oh, you know, is it okay if, if this kid only comes to practice on this day, because they also play lacrosse or, Ooh, like this nine-year-old has piano lessons on such and such date. Is it okay if they come late to this practice? And it was like, my answer was always yes. Like kids are overscheduled. Kids are over, over demands of being like really into one thing, really good at one thing. And my, my, you know, my thought was like, whatever makes your kid happy, I am happy with. And it's like, if that means that they're not going to come to half the practices because they also swim or they also play lacrosse or whatever it might be. Like I wanted to support that because I wanted these kids to be as multi-sport as possible, because I think our, my job, our job still is to develop lifelong love of sport. Mm -hmm. And it's not always readily available in some sports. I think Nordic skiing and and running, I think there's a lot of opportunity for that because you, it's like time outside, time with friends, community aspects of it. But I do think that that, like that can be the underpinning theme for soccer at a high level, for hockey at a high level, for tennis at a high level, for basketball at a high level. I think that the underpinning needs to be my end goal is to teach these, these kids life skills, even if they don't know what's happening and to instill a love for activity and a love for moving their bodies and a love for being outside, because I think that is what athletes carry through life with them. Even if they don't end up playing a high school sport or college sport, 
Like that to me is really, really critical. And I think even to like, to, for the development, obviously, like you're talking about, I think that's of the utmost important for longevity in sport, like a life in sport, whether or not you're trying to do it at a high level. But even speaking, I think, a pattern like because everyone always looks to professional athletes about okay like this is the path you should go if you want to get to this you know to the epitome of in sport like the highest level but even people who are at the highest level i think continuing to generalize also helps them to perform better in their own sports so you see that at the high level in, in trail running too where part of the year they're competing in schemo or you know they're doing cycling and i think that that's also very important to do like periodize your year we've talked about that before like taking little breaks when you start to feel stale you know in in running and i think that can continue to just in, like I mean, I always talk about it with my coach of becoming a more like well-rounded athlete. And then that yeah, can being also... athletic, being athletic exactly. over being mm-hmm. like the, 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 you know, the 99th percentile that you maybe could be. And I, right. in this like Canadian, like long-term athlete development model, which we're not going to like get into all the nitty gritty, like they divided up into this, like, you know, active start, you know, kind of like pre-K up to six years old, mm-hmm. like just learning to be active fundamentals where they're like learning more skills. Like then, then there's like the important part, which is like learn to train, train to train, train to compete, and then train to win. But here was what I thought was really interesting was that like train to compete was this like phase of sport development beyond ad- beyond the adolescent growth spurt. And then train to win is in quotes around the age of optimum performance in, in your specific sport. Mm-hmm you're a gymnast, that might be 14. Mm. And then I said, so, Hey, for ultra running, that is a whole lot later in life. And I was like, looks like personally, the three of us are probably just about ready to move into this phase. (laughs) (laughs) The three of us might have just graduated from train to train, which is traditionally like 11 to 15 year olds or 16 year olds to train to compete, which I think is what we've been doing. And I think that we're all kind of graduating finally into this like peak pinnacle (laughs) potential part of our careers in which it is like this train to win, you know, thing where you're, you know, further developing your skills, but you are, you know, still, you're still growing and you're still developing. And so Mm -hmm. I think that that was this really interesting piece that I was able to pull out of this, which is like, I've traditionally used this when I'm talking about like youth and junior athletes, but you know, it is, it's about your sport. And I think that, you know, that, that to me is really, really cool that, you know, we are just, we are just graduating to that spot. Maybe (laughs) I love that. I love the tears that they have for this. And I think it's actually really useful. Like you said, it can be applied to any sport, but it depends on like, you know, when is that peak when does that peak range for them for that for that sport? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, also, and this is like a Scandinavian to, model too, where yeah. it's like competition. Mm-hmm. It does not become very important until you're like late into your teen years, and that's kind of that like they start that a little bit in that train to train cycle, but really it's that train to compete cycle kind of after that adolescent growth spurt. Like they don't they don't give out awards for first, second, and third until that phase. And I think it's like mm-hmm. that's something where it's like kids you ate soccer gets trophies in the U.S. and that is a distinctly different mindset. Um, that I, that I think that the Canadian model really like, you know, does something very different. I think the, the model that we see in Scandinavian sports in Norway and Sweden, um, does something very different than the traditional U S model. And I think that that promotes once again, this like active for life mindset and this mm-hmm. long-term athlete development, not be throw a dozen eggs against the wall and see which one doesn't break model that I think we use in youth sports in the U S. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And I just think about like all of the knowledge and experience I've gained through all of the sports I've done, all of the life events that have happened, all of my experience through school and like how I can apply all of those mental models to my current training. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how I'm supposed to do that when I'm a young little kid specializing in a sport. Um, 
but I mean, well, yeah. that's where coaches and parents and, and having that education disseminated to them is so critical. And that's the idea of, you know, they kind of say this over and over again is that, you know, the, the crit, you know, this is a critical phase where, you know, you're cultivating life skills and ensuring an environment that promotes and supports fun and friendship. Like those things are kind of repeated through this model. And I think it's like, and, and I think, you know, I think we should actually share probably the, the PDF from the, mm-hmm. the sportforlife.canada group um, mm-hmm. in the show notes as well, because they've got a lot more information there kind of on like the pitfalls of any of these, any of these ages, any, any of these zones. And it, it puts a lot of responsibility on the national governing bodies, on the individual coaches, on the individual families and parents to help walk their, their, their kids, I was going to say their athletes, their <laughs> kids and their athletes through these different phases to deliver them safely to the other side, because you're right. Like an 11 year old can't do this, mm-hmm. but a good, a good parent and a good coach who has like, you know, has kind of like, has been educated in this way, I think mm-hmm. can help an athlete get to that spot safely and, 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 you know, and, and still have a love for mm-hmm. sport. Totally. And it's not like we're saying like, oh, if you want your kid to be a runner, don't let them run. It's more like, you know what, you can sign them up for track, but also sign them up for a couple other sports while they're developing and give them a little taste of like teamwork and all these other different things that maybe they won't experience with running and take that pressure off for a while and let Mm -hmm. them develop their skills, their passions, and then kind of specialize later. And yeah, they can, they can choose, right? Yeah. Let the kids match themselves. Let them pull. (laughs) Don't push. I like it. The pulling. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. does anyone have any like kind of closing remarks that you want to add on this? I know it was kind of a whirlwind there, but I yeah. think we're, we're running out of well, time for today. The one, the one thing I did want to add, I think that these skills are applicable, like Healy just mentioned to anything, like not just sport. And so I think that sport has a huge application to like work ethic, to drive, to, you know, outside of just life. the sport itself, mm-hmm. life in general. And all of these things is actually something that I talked about. Um, with Jeff about, uh, about this whole idea of range and this applies to careers. I think all of us have had kind of a different career trajectory and it's really cool to be able to, like, I came from graduate school and I was feeling like, Hey, I might want to try something else. Like I've been doing this for so long. Yes, I love it, but I want to try something else. Being able Mm -hmm. to, to dabble and, Mm -hmm. and gain other experiences and have a bit more range in career. Also it it applies. It's the same principle. So I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'd encourage everyone to try to, to read this book and see how it applies to sport, but also just life in general. Yeah. And I think I, that resonates a lot with me because when I first started off in college, like, you know, for my whole life again, I was like, okay, I want to be a doctor and you're driving towards this goal for so long that you, you end up forgetting why you want to do it. And you almost like, you don't even think about why you don't know what your passions are yet. And you're forced to make these decisions as a very infant brain, right? Like at 18, you're supposed to be like, I'm going to school for this. And by 22 years, like, okay, I need to go do this now. And I think taking the break for myself to figure out what other things I could do, get experience in a ton of other like forms of work through biomechanic research, physiology research, all of these things allowed me to come back to that initial goal later with a different passion for why I actually want to do it and not just doing it because, you know, I was supposed to, or I was good at science. Yeah. There are a lot of doctors who don't practice medicine because they, their only goal was to get into medical school. Right. And then all of a sudden they, they forgot why they wanted to get into medical school. Mm-hmm. And so that is yeah. all too common. Mm-hmm. So yeah. life, life implications there for sure. <laughs> um, but I think this is an interesting conversation to continue um, for, for all of us. So if you're part of the free trail fam and you're on Slack, uh, hit us up in the trail society, um, 
Slack channel specifically. Mm -hmm. We'd love to carry this conversation on there. If you haven't yet joined it, slide into our DMs, but also I encourage you to try a free trail membership um, so that you can be part of this kind of continuing conversation. I think that's kind of how we're pivoting this, right? It's this, you've been sliding into our DMs individually, but we can continue this conversation as a community over on that platform. So uh, let us know if you have any questions about it and we'll be happy to answer them for you. But to end things um, so that we can all, I don't know, jet off to our next crazy afternoon thing that we have on our schedules um, is Society Slam brought to you by Aura Ring. Um, I lost mine in my in my move and I just got a new one. And it's really, it's really cute. It's, uh, it's subtle. It's not, it's not as shiny as my old one. Um, and if you purchase an Aura Ring, you get the first six months of your membership for free. So I encourage you to try it out if you're interested. And, and if you're maybe if you're not interested, but you've got questions about it, you're intrigued by it. Um, that's a great thing to reach out to us about. We'd be happy to, to answer any questions you might have about using it and why and why we continue to use it as well. Mm-hmm. Who's yeah. got a slam? Keely, I'm putting you on the spot. Sure. Um, I got a DM about another race win that was about a week ago and it was by Canadian Victoria Brown, who was the overall champion at six days in the dome. So first of all, kudos, man, six days. I can't even imagine, but she ran four and a half miles, Holy which is cow. a new Canadian 48 hour record with 220 miles and a Canadian multi-day ultra marathon record um, for 290 miles. So she set two mile, two other records in that basically endeavor and also ran 457 to win the entire event overall at six days in the dome, which is exactly how it sounds. It's six days in a dome on a track, (laughs) but very, very awesome. And so congrats to her. That's bonkers. And we are so, so proud of your insanity. (laughs) I think I'd be seeing sideways at that point. Hillary, what do you got? You got another DM DMs today. Yeah. DM. Uh, and this one just slid in recently, but it's it's just a new, a newcomer. So we're still getting new subscribers and listeners. Um, and she said, she just discovered the, the trail study podcast. It's amazing. Um, she says, thanks to all of, all of us for the super interesting discussions. I think she's going to like this one. Uh, this is Anne Marie. Um, and she said, she's also a huge, like many use huge science nerd uh working as a neurologist and doing research about strokes in adults and so she really appreciates the science content so thanks we'll keep it up love it and then i've got one more dm and this is a this is probably embarrassing for this person but like in in a cute way not like it's an embarrassing story it's like i'm gonna embarrass them publicly by shouting them out um it was from abigail west and she said hi avid trail society podcast listener and of course a fan of all your wonderful commentary oh that's a plus for me high five me um she said you encourage sliding into DMs. So here I am because I'm feeling proud. Heck yeah. Okay. She said, I've been working with Devin. That's Devin Yanko mm-hmm. uh, for two years as my coach and through some rough goes with injury, finally finding my stride. Um, and we share a mutual love for Devin Yanko here on the pod as well. Yeah. And she said, I just raced my first 50 miler and broke an eight year old women's course record at Georgia jewel. Go. Whoa. She broke the record by 19 minutes. And she said, thank you all for promoting women's racing. I'm trying to do it here locally in Georgia as well, along with just promoting the growth of the sport in our area, period. Woo hoo. So <laughs> Abigail West, congratulations on your really impressive course record run at the Georgia Jewel 50 miler. Um, that is so, so cool. Um, so with that, slide into our DMs, slide into our Slack DM, which is essentially there are DMs there too. So you can definitely slide into those as well, but 
um, <laughs> join, join, uh, the, I, I'm going to just keep saying this, join us at the free trail pro membership so that you can, so that we can continue to grow this community, um, in a way where we can all talk together, where we can all share ideas together, where we can all have these discussions in a place. So slide into our DMS, give us your shout outs. Um, join join us in this conversation in slack as well but thank you all so much for being fans subscribe like us uh give us a five-star review or a four-star i mean i'll take a four-star i'm not i'm not petty um i'm a little desperate but i'm not petty um (laughs) but until next time we will see you out on the trails Bye.